strange things are afoot at the Circle K. That kid is back on the escalator again! And don't hurt. Is my boomstick! Game over, man! Game over! Welcome to the Bargain Bin. He is your host, Ben Mason. And he is your co-host, Sandra Luketic. And today, we are joined by DM Tim from the Knights and Nerds podcast. Tim! Hey, guys. Thanks very much for having me on this episode. I'm excited. You don't have to lie. It's okay. I understand. All right, well, uh, then I, I withdraw my previous statement. <laughs> I feel like introducing uh, him as DM Tim is almost like a hierarchy thing now, like a sir or a lord. Is that is that an appropriate introduction, DM Tim? I find it acceptable. Well, I'm definitely going to direct message Tim. <laughs> All right. So, Tim, why don't you tell people who you are? Uh, yeah, so um, my name is Tim. I am a dungeon master for a mediocre podcast called Knights and Nerds, where <laughs> I play D&D uh, with some friends of mine and talk about um, things like encounter design and and campaign building and, and sort of generally immature stuff like that. I can honestly say your podcast is very enjoyable, much better than mediocre. I am a fan and I listen to it. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to checking it out, man. How many episodes are you into so far? Uh, so I think we, geez, I, I don't know. I think we have like about 60 of the actual play episodes, and then there's a handful of episodes outside of this. We're probably in the, in the ballpark of around 80 episodes, and we've kind of been on a brief pause um, between campaigns because we finished one, and we're going to be starting potentially two more. I'm giving away a little bit of a surprise because I haven't I haven't actually disclosed that there may be two concurrent campaigns on the podcast uh, coming coming up, um, uh, but we're just sort of in a bit of a of a of an intermission right now while we get prepared for for sort of the next phase. Awesome. Well, we're glad to have you. Um, yeah, ben. welcome, man. Yeah, I, I'm going to take a, a a bit of a stray from our, our regular uh, intro. Um, the previous episode, we talked about um, Tales from the Crypt's Demon Knight, and uh, we both ranted and raved about how much we loved it, and I, I made a small comment about how I only had the Bare Bones DVD, and I was really curious about seeing special features on the new Scream Factory Blu-ray release, and lo and behold, the next day, mysteriously, it shows up in the mail, uh, full with... Uh, Two audio commentaries, a making of documentary, a panel discussion with Ernest Dickerson and Dick Miller, still galleries, theatrical trailers. Uh, and then the day after that, another package shows up, which is a Funko Pop vinyl figure of Corey Haim's character, Sam Emerson from The Lost Boys. I just want to say thank you, Sandro. Those were two very, very nice birthday gifts. They were very thoughtful and very meaningful. And on that note, now that we've talked about two good movies, let's talk about this week's film, 2005's Dungeons & Dragons, Wrath of the Dragon God. We assume if you're listening to this episode, you have already seen the movie. Gentlemen, Sandro, yes, we're sir. not going to start with you. Okay. We're going to start with our guest. Tim, what did you think of this movie? Uh, I have, you know what? I have a lot of I have a lot of opinions about certain things, but um, I I I watched this movie um, 
only like just a few days ago and i've already forgotten most of it because <laughs> <laughs> um because because of the way that it is do you want to uh, elaborate on that or are we just gonna yeah. <laughs> i'm super curious <laughs> um i okay so listen I, I don't like to i don't like to beat up on on people for like making an honest effort i feel like i kind of oscillate between thinking that um you know here, here's somebody who who made a a, a D and D movie who who clearly had some some knowledge of D and D, and 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 enjoys it, uh, and I and and wanted to sort of bring their enjoyment to a different medium away from the role playing uh, table and into the into the film sphere, which may not have been the best choice but i'm not saying that i could make a better movie i'm just this is like just a really long throat clearing about like how i'm i don't want to be super uh negative but um oh boy (laughs) (laughs) i don't know how to be i don't know how to be (laughs) diplomatic i don't know how to be diplomatic in this in this sense it's 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 not a great movie and uh I, I, I did get excited at the beginning when I saw that uh, Damodar was was back. I was kind of like, oh, nostalgia. <laughs> um, but uh, I, that, that was very brief. Um, uh, it was like a, just a, this brief little dopamine hit, and then and then the rest of the movie just dares you to watch it. So touching on the whole... Um statement that you made about the movie seeming like it was made by people who uh, care about the pen and paper game and know about it. They actually had Gary Gygax around for help with references on uh, just different elements of the movie being, or of the pen and paper game being incorporated in the movie. So you really can't get a better person there to help you with that. What does that say about the other as a resource, working on the movie? <laughs> yeah. As a resource, I, I would agree. Um, it's, it's. I, I think in terms of of creating a movie, like it's a it's a completely different experience than creating a game. And and I definitely appreciate the little nods to like historical uh, aspects of D anD D, and they they make reference to lore, and they make reference to modules uh in the dialogue which nobody would appreciate unless you know about dnd um so I, I feel like in addition to having gary gygax they should have had somebody who uh, I, I don't know helped help them flesh out the characters a little bit um <laughs> i like there's there's so many angles at which to approach this but maybe maybe the most telling part and I don't know if you guys picked up on it, but maybe the most, uh, the the best example or the best nutshell of this movie is when there there's a a choreographed sparring scene near the beginning. First of all, this movie could be like twenty minutes shorter. Um, <laughs> it was. I feel like it was like, I feel like it was the longest movie I've seen this like in the last five years. And I've watched Blade Runner twenty forty nine like eight times. Um, but there's a sparring scene early on where somebody does a backflip and you fully see a, a part of the green screen in the background that I think that they just didn't manage to cover up. 
Yep, caught that too. I did not. <laughs> this movie felt like a 105-minute porn parody with no porn. That's the quality of acting and filming. You know what? There is a scene just after what Tim had referenced with the sparring when he goes to talk, or Barrick, like our our protagonist, goes to speak to his wife. And the way that they talk, it is clearly exposition that is laid out in a conversation that would never take place between two people that have known each other for any longer than just meeting right there. That is acted no better than a cable man showing up in a porn scene. Oh, yeah. It, even the dialogue, when they're talking about the book, where she's looking at the hieroglyphs, she's like, have you seen these hieroglyphs before? It's like, yes, it's just like the ones I saw in wherever. And she just glances and goes, it's indecipherable. <laughs> you just you just looked at it. Barrett says, let's take them here and cross-reference them and figure it out. And she says, that would take weeks. Let's use a spell. So it's completely decipherable, which means the entire scene of dialogue is unnecessary. And she even makes it a point when he gets there to like say how she's his mage wife. And it's just like, yeah, yeah, I, I say that all the time. You know, my spouse comes home. I'm podcast Sandro because, you know, we just met. It's like somebody edited together every cringe video from YouTube. So do I get to say what I thought of the movie? Can I? Yet? Can I? No, no, it's Tim's turn again. Can I interject? Can, can I interject with just a fun piece of trivia? Because I, I thought it was odd that they call her mage, but then I think they call the elf. Do they call her a mage or do they call her a wizard? She's a wizard. Okay, so there was a distinction. Um, I think in the '90s when Advanced Dungeons and Dragons made the sort of a lexic. Uh, a change of lexicon from using mage to to using wizard, um, and in one of the one of the editions of the book, somebody editing had gone through and did a, like a control search and replaced mage with wizard, but they failed to adequately separate mage out from other letters, so words like damage became da wizard. <laughs> <laughs> Words like image became eye wizard. Uh, it, feel, it feels like we're in that edition of the book in this movie. Can I make a comment about the dialogue? Go for it, man. Does it seem or does it sound like this dialogue was originally recorded in another language and they just used Google Translate to turn it to English and didn't take into account grammar or punctuation and we're just like all right it's english uh it's definitely inexperience um uh one of the writers also directed the movie jerry lively uh was mainly just a cinematographer or a director of photography and worked on some really cool classic horror films like the waxwork movies hellraiser 3 warlock 3 which also starred bruce payne um uh, return of the living dead 3 and necronomicon um the other writer, Robert Kimmel, had only worked as a production coordinator and second AD uh, in porn. <laughs> it's so com It's coming together, man. It is coming together. And I would like to bring up, too, the fact that 
Jerry Lively was a cinematographer, but did not do the cinematography in this movie. It was uh, Igor uh, Melich, I think he's pronounced, was a uh, second unit DOP on uh, a lot of Marvel movies, the Resident Evil movies, Dragonheart, Training Day, uh, a lot of really big budget uh, movies um, and, uh, and porn. So there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of people that worked on this movie that did some good stuff. It. Okay, let me let me and say. They also did this movie. Let me say this. Okay. I hate watching stage plays because I'm always nervous that the actors on stage are going to mess up and ruin it for everyone else. I felt like that for this entire movie. It felt like everyone was given the script the day before they started shooting. And they were just winging it at best. Okay. I didn't realize it was a made-for-TV movie that was then released on DVD. And it really looks like a made-for-TV movie. It looks like everybody tried to do the best they could with what they had, but they just didn't have enough. And it's not that I hate the movie so much as I'm just embarrassed for everybody involved in it. Okay. So you liked it. I wanted to. Why did you, I will never Why did you want to like it? Um well it's it's a legendary gaming franchise, man. Like D&D is awesome. I I have only recently gotten into fantasy, but I totally respect the lore. Uh I love hearing people talk about it, how involved they are in it. Uh I watched the first movie and thought everybody was absolutely crazy who like this. Then I got into a little bit more. I'm like, okay. Then you said it's not as bad as the first one. And yeah, it is. No, it's not as bad. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. It's the best thing in your movie is Bruce Payne. Very much up for debate. I I don't know. At least the first movie had Jeremy Irons. Okay. You know what? Go back and watch the first one and then come back to me and tell me which of the two was better. Not good, no, just better no. than the other. Because I'm not going to do that. I'm not saying that this is a good movie, but a 3 out of 10 movie is better than a 2 out of 10 movie. I just said better, not good. Subjective. Okay, fine. What do we okay. want to talk about here? Plot or nitpicks? Or actors? Mm. I want to get into all call. of them. Yeah, me too. Tim, why don't you pick? Where are we starting? Uh, let's go plot. Let's start with the big picture. Uh, first off, plot. Um, the entire quest is irrelevant. Uh, <laughs> the, the the entirety of the quest. So the the five the five champions who who depart to to um, find Damodar and confront him. Uh, effectively accomplish zero except to weaken their own party um all of the heavy lifting is done by the the mage the mage wife uh whose name escapes me um but melora thank you thank you yes if you if, if they never left ishmir um they probably would have been better off because the the cleric wouldn't have died uh the rogue wouldn't have uh twisted his ankle and the wizard wouldn't have had her arm chopped off, which I did think was pretty dope. I mean, yeah, they, pretty good. they foreshadowed that too. 
because they made a lot of references to teleport spells and how they can go wrong. And there was even the talk of how the um, like the mirror reflection that they were using to find Demodar's lair as a point of reference for teleporting was flawed. So that was kind of some nice um, forward thinking. I do want to jump back to something you had said in your plot description, though, because it just has to be mentioned. The cleric. Why did he decide that he could fight a dragon? And much like the plot of the movie, their plan to defeat the dragon after uh, the cleric Dorian dies could have been done without him dying. Because no part of it was influenced by it. I honestly The only really rationale know. that... Sorry, Tim, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, there's just a little bit of lag between us, but uh, that's that's my fault. I was I was only going to say the only rationale that I could conceive of was that the the cleric was essentially like sacrificing himself to try to give his the rest of the party like a a, a window of opportunity, but that does not come across at all in the actions. It's, it's definitely like a sort of a post hoc rationalization. I fully believe it was a a pacing issue. They needed an action scene. Um... But I would say also that I think all of the actors actually did a very good job uh, fighting uh, a horrible CG dragon. Like, knowing that they had nothing to work off of while they were filming, I think they did a fantastic performance. Well, see, t- uh, Ben, you said that they needed an action scene, but they could have had an action scene without making the cleric a moron. Because, again, the whole you know, weakening up with the acid, throwing the javelin, hitting it with a lightning bolt. All of that could have happened without the cleric thinking that, what, a low-level flame strike spell would be sufficient against a frost giant, uh, frost dragon? Hey, man, I'm out of my comfort zone. This is on you, too. Hey, I'm just saying, you, you said they needed an action scene. They could have had it without the dying. It really did seem like it was a little early to kill off one of the party. And one that you didn't really build an emotional connection with yet either. Like, usually the loss of a party member like that is meant to elicit emotion and reinforce the urgency of the quest. But when you do it that early with really no development of that character, it doesn't accomplish that at all. It's true. I guess all we really knew about him is he doesn't like it when you wear your shoes in church. What do you think, Tim? If yeah, you're right. If you're going by tropes, then normally the first person on a quest who dies is sort of like the the sage and a guide and like a father figure, like Gandalf. Um, and and this this guy was he was counseling Beric a little bit, giving him very vague spiritual advice. Um, but yeah, there's really no, there's really. N- no no character beats that he had had. Um, e- even the counseling part was a bit weak. But I, in, in some way, I, I kind of like the fact that he died unceremoniously. I'm like, that's, that's kind of like a D&D game. Like, you can just die in any, in, in any encounter that kind of goes sideways. You, like, you make one stupid choice, and, uh, and that's it. Yeah, he but rolled- in, in terms of, like... like <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he rolled a one. Um, but uh, in in terms of 
in terms of of coming across like in a movie, it's definitely like I I can I can say like oh that's kind of like a D and D game, but it doesn't translate well to a movie. Um, like there's there's actually a piece of dialogue that jumped out at me when he says uh, when Barrick says. Um, I stumbled in. Uh, I, I wrote it down here. Hang on a sec. I stumbled into. I blundered into that trap like a farm boy on his first campaign. Now, campaign could mean like a military campaign, but to me, it strikes as like a very loaded term directed to D and D players. And I'm like that. That sounded very odd. It sounded very odd to me in, in terms of dialogue. But uh, yeah, I, I feel like there's a lot of a lot of instances in this movie of things that work well in the game that just don't make the jump onto onto into this medium. Well, I'm with you, Tim. I think that a lot of those references, especially lines like that, were done intentionally because, I mean, the biggest draw for this movie is going to be the diehards who just want to see the references. Uh, because D&D is so poorly represented in cinematography that um, they're just kind of, they're, they're hurting for something good. I'm just hurting after watching this movie. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> ben, what did you, you know, think? I'll, what, oh, sorry, go ahead, Tim. Sorry. In that just just in that same uh part of the movie before the the ice dragon shows up when they get to the goblin village one one of the characters says, "What could have done this? It's a massacre." I'm like, "Well, most things, most things can kill goblins. Like they're goblins." <laughs> I also don't remember seeing any corpses. No, now that so you... it wasn't re- like a massacre. What's the proof? People <laughs> left the village. <laughs> Obviously, they're dead somewhere. They couldn't just be on like a hunting party for supplies. Yeah, no. Ben, what did you think about the plot not needing the party and being completely separate from the mage's plot? Um, I don't know. Like, I really wanted to like this movie. So I just kind of excused certain elements of the plot. Um, for me, it was the dialogue that really killed the movie. Um, I, I'm not overly familiar with how D&D campaigns play out. I've only ever played once, and uh, I had a blast. It was a lot of fun. But only playing the game once doesn't really give you a feel of how campaigns usually go or can go. Um, so this is, uh, I'm, I'm kind of coming into this with a, a, an ignorance, uh, an unwanted ignorance. But as far as a fantasy film goes, I thought the plot went along okay. A- again, like you said, like there are nitpicks to be had, but if you can just overlook those, you know, it's your substandard fantasy film. I I gotta say the what you just said really made me think that the acting, the dialogue in this movie made me really reflect on old D&D campaigns with, like, first-time RPers who were just trying to play their characters, and they overacted really badly. Yeah. Is it possible that these actors were just brilliant in replicating that? No. (laughs) No. Don't give them that much credit. But like the the writing, like uh, when that one guy shows up from the town, he's like, "We need your help." Two of our villagers went into the cave and haven't come out. 
And then they, they go and, and check it out, and it's like, oh, poison gas is coming from holes. These aren't holes. They're nostrils. So, yeah, holes. Nasal cavities. They're holes. Like This is terrible writing. I Absolutely found, terrible writing that makes everybody involved in these scenes look like idiots. I found that scene very peculiar because we just finished watching like the duel scene with the replacement for the um, captain of the guard mm-hmm. and how we're being told, okay, Barrick, you're kind of past your prime and you're just in charge of taxes now and like you're, you're not a hero anymore. And then this guy comes to town who's found poison gas, and he's just like, I need Barrick, I need Barrick. Well, why? Why do you need the tax guy? Yeah. <laughs> we need the guy who's not capable of doing his job anymore. Stat. There's poison gas in our hills that doesn't conform to the local zoning bylaws. <laughs> um, if, if we're going to talk characters, uh, what did you guys think of Clax, the lich? Um, he was pretty meh. Yeah. What did you think of the makeup? Go ahead, Tim. <laughs> it it weirded me out every time he was on screen. Yeah, Tim. right? Every time I saw him, I was like, dude, close your mouth. Because when he's not talking, the mouth, like the makeup, won't let him close his mouth properly. At one point, he actually drools on himself and slurps it back into his mouth. I was like, I'm pretty sure that wasn't scripted. He really reminded me of the, or at least an attempt to look like one of the orcs from Lord of the Rings. At least that's what it looked like to me. Like, you know, like that President's Choice no name version of an orc from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, it would look good in a photo. It's just not good for film. I want to kind of pivot to something not related to characters or plot for for one minute, if I may. Oh, you want to talk about a good movie? No, a general nitpick. Hey, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I watch one of these fantasy movies, and I brought this up um, back when Pixel Opinions did their uh, review of Warcraft, why is it that a lot of these medieval movies have so many well-kempt characters? Ooh, good question. Like, never really thought about that. Hygiene was not, uh, not top priority back then. Yeah, Adventurer's Dental Plans must be amazing. And I'm not saying that they can't run a comb through their hair, but these are adventurers. Like, rub some dirt on them or something. Yeah. Does no, that, I don't, I don't, does that I don't not know. bother it, anybody it, else? Well, it does. Now that you brought it up, that's another list of, or another thing added to the list of complaints. But they do it in a lot of movies. Like, like, like I said, the example that I brought up was Warcraft, which at least was a big budget movie. Um, mm-hmm. Tim, do you notice this? Does it bother you? Um, you know what? Like, I, I think there were there were bigger gripes than the appearance of the of of the main cast. Although I'll say the rogue the rogue did kind of fit the bill of like a seedy character. He might have been my favorite character in the party. 
he was the only actor other than Bruce Payne who I recognized from something else. Tim Stern was actually in an episode of Tales from the Crypt. It okay. wasn't a good episode, but he was still in it. So I'm going to put you both on the spot and ask you very, very simply, who was the best actor in this movie and who was the worst? Why don't we start with Tim? Uh, who was the best actor in the movie? Um, uh, it was it was probably one of the people playing a corpse. <laughs> <laughs> Like one of the one of the extras who is just sort of like laying there and not opening their eyes and looking directly into the camera. Uh, well done, the sir. Right there. Okay. Well done. Now this is a, a much easier question because there's so few options. Who was the worst? Oh, still on me. Uh, oh, geez, this is a. As a, a a wealth of an embarrassment of riches to choose from, um, I said hmm. I was putting you on the spot. <laughs> the worst, uh, can I collectively award the Council of Mages that looked like a like a Mike Pence impersonation party? <laughs> <laughs> you absolutely can. <laughs> All right, same questions to Ben. Try to top those answers. Uh, honestly, I think the best actor, um is very evident um the one who at least I, I think bruce payne is a fantastic actor who just did not do a good job in this movie i think the best performance on screen was uh, roy marston as uh, oberon okay and i then... think he did a very good job with a limited amount of dialogue he conveyed his character incredibly well and he actually felt necessary to the story okay and then who was the worst Mark Diamond is Barrick. Really? Yep. And I'll tell you why. Okay. He was the he had the least amount of conviction behind his lines. It's like he would say something and to himself he's like, I don't believe myself. This is a horrible idea. I should not be in this position. I should not have agreed to do this. And I don't think that's character development. I think that's just him not believing his own ability to deliver a line correctly. I would not have thought that that would be your answer, man. What did you think it would be? Uh, Melora. Oh yeah, she's garbage. Every one but of But she her... seemed to believe that she was doing a good job. And? <laughs> that doesn't mean she was. No, I think with Mark Diamond, it was more so that he knew he was doing a poor job and just couldn't do it any better. And it was it, I, I almost got a sense of embarrassment coming out of every line he delivered. Wow, high praise. Thank you. Um, okay. What about you? Well, for me, it's obviously Melora was the worst. Yeah, uh, I felt that like every every line of dialogue that she presented was overacted, but also without any sort of appropriate inflection or emotion behind it everyone was mm -hmm. just like okay this entire read is going to be sounding panicked but without any sort of levels and then this one is just going to be angry without any sort of inflection it was really 
really bad for me. Oh, let me guess. Your favorite actor was the Orb of Falazur. No, I, I actually thought that Tim Stern as Nim was maybe, maybe not the best actor, but he was the most enjoyable character for me on screen. Like, he was the, the, the best role for me to watch. Like, even the little maybe scene... the best fit, for sure. Yeah, like, even the little scene where he's like, oh, I'm going to deploy some very ancient rogue um, trickery to unlock this lever. <laughs> and then yeah. it gets them to all turn away, and then he just switches the lever. I, like those that was were, pretty funny. Those were the few enjoyable. I think that may have been like the high point of the movie. Yeah. You, what about the um, the the very Resident Evil like uh, lightning trapped room where um, uh, what was her name? The wizard Ormeline uh, just mm-hmm. sends her familiar into time. <laughs> Yeah, it's almost like the cinematographer worked on the Resident Evil movies. Oh, wait. He did. Tim, did you not find that her willingness to use what we're supposed to believe is her familiar and her non-reaction to it being fried a little off for a wizard? <laughs> um, yeah, see, I was a bit confused because I was like, in in the most recent iteration of the rules, like a familiar, you, you can just bring them back. You can you can kill them over and over again. You just need to just to resummon them with a simple ritual after after a certain amount of time. So maybe her her dispassionate reaction was uh, was understandable. I was <laughs> I was I kind of moved on from that uh, because a few minutes later they're solving that puzzle, walking backwards down this hallway very slowly, and, and I. I I had the thought as I was watching it this is bad this is this is this is bad entertainment because like it's not exciting to watch people slowly walk backwards down a hallway you know it seems like one of those other things that I mentioned before of like this would have been fun to play and f- to figure out as a person at the table because you get that satisfaction of like solving a puzzle but seeing other people do it it really it, it it's really Something that falls flat. I wasn't a fan of that scene just because the way that they were lined up, they would have been obstructing each other's view of the mirror reflection. And there's no way the person crossing would have seen what, where to jump because they would have been blocked off by a party member. Can, I, can we go back for one, one quick second? Of course um, we can. Tim, thank you for describing the whole familiar thing. Because when she said that that dove was her friend since childhood, I had to look up the lifespan of a dove, and it's a year and a half. I was so confused. <laughs> well, it's obviously it's a magical companion, Ben. Sure. Yeah. All right. Moving on. We'll go back to your uh, your mirror trap. And as 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 an elf, she'd be even like that. Would have been a long time. Oh yeah. Since her childhood. Actually, before we move forward, I want to go back even further one more scene to when they're, like, they've just entered the crypt and they're fighting. I didn't catch which creatures were coming off of the ceiling, but they had to unlock a door and and kind of get through to get to the traps. Yeah, they look like weird starfish stingray things. 
Yeah, they are called uh, dark mantles. They they hang around like st- uh, stalactites, and then they drop down onto your head and suffocate you. So I have, so I have a few very quick thoughts on that um, scene. Uh, one, that's the cleanest crypt ever because there was like no <laughs> dust or cobwebs. Uh, two, they get through the door, and when they run through the door. The next scene is all of them falling down like a drop. Not a big one, but apparently that that door opened to like a two-foot drop. And three, the movie for some reason cut out a scene or an explanation where Beric's sword either just morphed or he didn't loot it. But in the scene, his sword changes. And when they come through that door, he has a different blade that we're supposed to believe is a Vorpal blade. And I even rewound it to the scene right before they go through the door. And, like, he's got a sword that's just, like, a straight blade. And then they come through, and he's got, like, a like more of a glowing blade with, uh, like, two spikes on it. Yes. Th- there were so many issues with that scene that I was just like, um... Did, like... Was there a, a fast forward in time where they spent thirty minutes in a dungeon between opening that door and falling down that drop? Uh, this is kind of lackluster, but they actually did film scenes and had to cut it out, explaining where he got the sword from. So, what I said was pretty accurate then. Yeah, yeah. They cut out the scene and just assumed people wouldn't notice, which I find hilarious for a movie geared towards fans of D anD. d briefly to talk about our, our two antagonists in this in this movie um, Damodar and uh, the Lich whose name I can't recall I think they just call him Lich for a while uh, Clax oh yes thank you um, I feel like they could have combined these characters because Damodar is one of those villains that sits in a chair and the acts imposing, but really doesn't have a lot going on. It, it's not clear if he has any powers aside from like when he doesn't have the orb. Um, in in the first D and D movie, he's actually out there being an enforcer and killing people. In, in this, I found him totally non-threatening. Um, and and like the only thing that I can think of is like maybe they're setting up this rivalry between these two bad guys as like sequel bait, which is a would be a bad choice, in my opinion, but uh, Clax had all the neat powers. He he had, like, shape change and all this magic, and Damodar had a chair and an orb and an arm that grew back. But other than that, didn't even have his lipstick, so... <laughs> yeah. I did find that really weird with his character, too, because he talks about how he's free after he cures himself from the curse put on him by... Uh, it was Jeremy Irons in the first movie, yes? That put the curse on him? Yeah, the the curse was because mm-hmm. he like quote unquote failed him. Um, yeah, even so though he, he doesn't believe that he failed him. So he regains his freedom, just so he can get an orb to submit to another master. Yeah, uh huh. Like that's uh, not exactly a a good character arc. I feel like the movie would have been better if Clax was the main villain and got most of the villain screen time. I think so too. If you switch the roles, 
uh, and like Clax was the lead villain, and Damodar again played like almost the henchman, like sergeant character. I think it would have been much more believable. Yeah, I think you know what if if uh, if Clax had sort of beaten Damodar to the punch and gotten the orb, and then Damodar had to sort of form this uneasy alliance with the uh, with the party, and then you're always anticipating this eventual backstab. I think that could have made for a lot more interesting dialogue when they're like sniping back and forth at each other, uh, and you have like really, you know, holier than thou people like the bonehead cleric and, uh, and you know really principled characters and 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 the barbarian who's always angry, um, who doesn't really appear very angry most of the time. She's just no, and she. You know what? And and, and she she gets pulled away from that that fight with the bandits. She was not even in any danger. She could have killed all of them, apparently. Like she didn't look like she was in any trouble. And they had to calm her down out of her berserker rage to get her to follow, but it wasn't acted very well. She just stood there for a minute while they called to her, and then she was like, "Yeah, okay." I do want to get back to the first time we see Clax, though. Sure. Because there was a part of that scene that really didn't sit well with me, okay? Let me paint the picture, okay? Dorian is knocking trees down, sending them to the river, where Beric is making a raft. They can't be more than 20, 30 feet away from one another. Beric hears Dorian yelling for help where a tree had fallen on him, which we find was not really Dorian. The part that bothered me is Dorian, even at 20-30 feet away, should have been close enough to also hear the cries for help that Barrack heard and been like, yo guys, that ain't me. <laughs> That's He's probably like, eh, it's probably nothing. You, you didn't think uh, that? Like, in no, my mind, I, the direction that Beric starts running to save Dorian, he would have ran by the real Dorian, knocking down a tree and been like, yo, what's going on? Yeah. <clears throat> the problem I have with that scene is that they're cutting down trees, like massive tree trunks, and rolling them down towards the river. And then you see the raft that he's building... <laughs> And it's made out of small branches that weren't on the trees that were rolled down the hill. They weren't, like, carved or etched or anything. They still had the bark on them. So what he was building the raft with were not the trees that they were cutting down and praying to, like, the forest gods for. I'm sorry, but I think my gripe was a little bit more ridiculous than yours. Matter of opinion. Are we getting to that point where we're arguing which mess up is the more severe one you told me this movie was good this I didn't, is where we are now I didn't say good I said better than the first okay that's like getting a splinter under your fingernail is better than stepping on a nail whatever man all I'm saying is that he should have known or at least Dorian should have heard and told him that's not me that oh scene no I I agree with you 100%, but that's just one of many errors in multiple scenes of this movie. Okay. Well, why don't you name another one, then? Um, the whole explanation of 
covering up the missing page of 893 from the book. If that was the intent and they didn't want anybody to find page 893, don't go from 892 to 894. Just rewrite 894 as 893. Problem solved. No one will find that page. Ben, do you know how books work? Yes. 892 to 894 doesn't make sense. Exactly. And that's what it was in the movie. It would make more sense if it went from 892 to 895. So that we could assume that the two pages are fused together. But what? Like, there's a magical third side to this page? That's what I'm saying. Like, labeling the pages didn't make any sense. And, like, that's a dead giveaway if you're trying to hide something. You just messed everything up for yourself. The pages okay, the pages I, were stuck together because somebody got too excited and cast, like, a, a grease spell in between them. Mm. I was going to say, I just, I feel like I embarrassed myself here, but I think I made a fair point. No, you did make a fair point because that's not how pages work. And Also, Tim, good joke. <laughs> and at, <laughs> at the same time, like you said, if they wanted you, to you. hide it, just don't number the pages. Honestly... Yeah. The entire council of mages? Wizards? Mages, I, I think. I think they were called mages, but I don't think they should have been. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was the uh, council of mages. High wizards. They didn't make sense to me in that a lot of what they did was just done haphazardously with no preparation or caution. Like, she summons the magma creature she tells them she's going to and then none of them do anything to like get out of the way they just let the one guy catch fire they're hesitant about her being cursed and they're asking her like like are you a lich and you know uh they're like oh look in your heart and tell us if you're a lich and she's like i'm not it's like if she was a lich, she wouldn't say she was. But they're just like, yeah, that's cool. Exactly what a lich would say. Benish! <laughs> like, I did love the water staff. Like, these mages were completely, I want to say reckless, but that's more active than what they were doing. You notice, like, the, the scene immediately following that that scene that you're describing where the magman shows up and starts committing arson? The scene immediately after that like the establishing shot is like a surgeon's table with a whole bunch of severed limbs. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Why were the limbs severed? Shouldn't it have been like a burnt corpse? I don't know, man. The stuff that goes on in this movie just doesn't make any sense to me. The more we talk about it, the more confused I'm getting. Okay. Well, why don't we talk about the ending to the movie then? Oh, like when Barrack returns and that volley of arrows just goes sideways? Sure. The, we, the worst archers in the world. <laughs> There's one arrow that's literally sailing at like a 45 degree angle <laughs> from its intended target. Oh, it's not just one, man. I went back and watched that over and over again. I had a great laugh for about five minutes over that scene. But what I really meant was the ending scene felt pretty rushed. Oh, yeah, it was awful. It's like, everything is fine. Oh, just Damodar's sitting there? Melora's ordained. Damodar's in a jail cell. Credits. 
Yeah, like, I mean, up until where Lux is fighting the demons to hold them off so that Barrack can ride back into town, everything kind of seemed to move at, like, a pace that was consistent. And then it was like everything from that moment on happened at, like, five times speed. And we just zoomed through it where there was an attack, the orb was stolen back by, um, was it, uh, ultimately it was Clax in disguise, right? Like, he turned into a flying demon first, and then when he gave the orb to Damodar, it was... Yeah, Clax. he disguised himself as Oberon. Yeah. But why yeah. he didn't just turn into Clax instead of a flying demon first? But, like, so first of all, like, the whole orb part, like, they just get it back, and then in the final five, ten minutes, they complete it. Like, this is where what Tim was saying, where the party's venture out is unnecessary. We could have just picked up there and taken the orb from him in the same manner as when they had to reacquire it after Clax stole it there. But everything there just felt like a rush to the finish line. Yeah, agreed. Tim, you might find this somewhat amusing. I was telling Sandro earlier, I have a note that I don't actually remember. And it just says, Damodar is all of a sudden dressed in a nun's habit for a horse chase. Lux screams at horse until it falls over, repeatedly boots Damodar in the face. Do you want to explain that one to me? Yeah, I that's... Um... Rewatch the movie. <laughs> uh, I have a feeling that they that they had this this horse. I may have to amend my choice of the best actor because it may have been that horse. But they had this horse, and they're like, "We have to have this horse chase," and they're like trying to um, capitalize on like a little bit of the imagery from Lord of the Rings. It's like I'm like, oh, they're they're kind of like going for like a sort of a Nazgul type of feel now that he's got this big billing cloak. Um, and it blows my mind that this came out two years after Return of the King. It's wild. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, Lux, who the barbarian who that we we had left for dead, um, scares scares a horse. Never have I seen such violence towards a horse since uh, Mongo punches one in blazing saddles, uh, and and then and then. Almost kills Damodar, and then Beric says, "No, wait, don't." And then Beric starts to threaten to kill Damodar, uh, <laughs> and, and you have this—you have this uh, this really unconvincing turn from Damodar, where he he lifts the curse uh, on um, Melora for what I can tell is is no great reason. If he like his his whole his whole motivation is to destroy Ishmir. And so if he just doesn't do anything, Ishmir will be destroyed because Melora is too weak to use the uh, counter orb against against the, the, the dragon whose name I can't pronounce. I feel like everyone pronounces that dragon's name like you're pronouncing Worcester sauce. It's like Ferazur. Everyone <laughs> just kind of mumbles through it. Falazur? I would say Falazur. Okay, yeah, you're probably right. I was just uh, by by the end of it, I'm like, oh, let's just let's just get through this, guys. Let's just let's just get to the end of this movie. <laughs> Dragon. Okay, well, I 
don't know how Lux stayed alive, because um, I really yeah. do think that she was left for dead. But again, her barbarian rage is settled very easily by Beric just saying, don't kill him. And it's just like, shouldn't you be tougher to talk down from your bloodlust than this? And why aren't you dead? These are questions. Yes! And then at the end, we see that Lux is fine, uh, Nim has recovered, uh, Ormaline has recovered, but Dorian's still dead. <laughs> Sorry about your luck. Yeah, he got man. he got blasted into a thousand little pieces, man. You can't you can't revivify that shit. <laughs> Not even true resurrection. Uh, you you know what? Uh, I have a I have an app on my phone. Let me I'll, I'll look up true resurrection. I don't know what edition this this movie is is going for. Um, I think that I think maybe if you found, I think based on the time, it's got to be true 3. resurrection. 5. It's it's got to be three point five in 2005 right i'm so out of my element here okay well i mean for your element ben i will mention that this movie had a budget of 12 million dollars yeah and it made 2.6 what now here's what i wanted to ask you ben while while tim's looking that up if a movie was released direct to dvd and didn't have a theatrical release why do they call it the box office um, I didn't realize they called it a box office. I just thought it was gross profit. Oh, okay. Well, maybe it's the you know, Wikipedia or whatever I looked it up on had it listed as that. I'm on Wikipedia right now, and yeah, it does say box office. Maybe okay. it did get a limited uh, theatrical release. Okay. Because I'm seeing on Wikipedia they're saying it got uh, $1.75 million at the box office. But I know that the gross was uh, two point six million, so I'm assuming that's from DVD sales and uh, uh, streaming distribution rights. So this movie was and merchandising of clacks, <laughs> <laughs> drooling See, on himself. So this movie was not <laughs> not a success by any means. No, no, definitely, definitely validates making it a third film. But they had a third film. I know. They had Dungeons and Dragons, The Book of Vile Darkness. Yeah, I know. And that's that's unfortunately... Was the, Bruce Payne in that one? Uh, I, oh I, my god. I, I hope never, so. I've never watched it. Um, let me look it up real quick here. I don't see him listed. So while you're looking no. that up, True Resurrection... True Resurrection... This is, this is the wording of the 5th edition uh, version of the spell. Uh, the spell replaces damaged or missing organs and limbs. It doesn't specify how much of the original body you have to have. <laughs> okay, so yeah, probably not. <laughs> Just a handful of chunks. Probably not, probably not. Um, I find this an interesting quote here. Monsters and Critics awarded the movie 2 out of 5, and this is their um, the quote from their review. If Lord of the Rings showed us how the fantasy genre can be done right... Dungeons and Dragons Wrath of the Dragon God shows us how it can be done horribly wrong. Yeah, I would agree with that. So, with also, that... Uh, another bit of trivia. Yeah. Jerry Lively returned as the director of the third movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, honestly, I think I have to watch it now. <laughs> Are you serious? Are you brave enough for that? 
Uh, I'm dumb enough, yeah. All right, well, you know what? Not brave. I think we've tortured ourselves enough. Why don't we get to our closing thoughts on the movie? And why don't we start with Ben this time? Okay. Uh, Don't watch this movie. (laughs) Nothing. You're not going to get anything good out of it. You're going to get confusion, frustration, anger. Uh, I'm not a filmmaker, but I honestly think going against what Tim said earlier, I think with 12 million, I could have done a better job with no knowledge of D&D. I'm actually surprised that the budget was that high. Where did $12 million go? Um, there were some very impressive... Bruce, P- Bruce Payne has some really weird writers in his contract. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. $14 million brown M&Ms. Um, there, were, there were attempts at really, really good shots but not enough money to actually set dress every nice shot they tried to do. So I think it really went into the actual uh, filming equipment. Um, There were actually a lot of different sets. I was kind of surprised about that. And you have to set dress everything, and that does get expensive. So I think a fair amount of money went there. Uh, Again, yeah, Bruce Payne for sure. Um, There really weren't any other notable actors, so uh, I guess the rest of the money went to... um, Okay. <laughs> and Tim, what are your closing thoughts on the movie? Um, it's 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 difficult to put into words. Um, the offense that, like, you can <laughs> you, just vomit if you can... want to. <laughs> Listen, I I think I got some some enjoyment out of out of this in a way that. The, the filmmakers definitely were not intending um, sort of in this the sick way that you that you enjoy um, cats and then the novelty wears off after uh, a, you know a pretty brief period of time uh, it's it's I feel bad because like 12 million oh my god 12 million dollars like can you imagine the amount of hungry people that could have fed in this world if this movie hadn't been made. <laughs> um, it's, it, it does kind of make me sad because I feel like you, you could have gotten a better film for, the, for that amount of money. If they had uh, placed less emphasis on special effects because like the I'm sure the amount of money they had to spe- spend on CGI was like the, the return on investment was probably not great. Because the effects in this turn are not terrific or passable, um, I th- I think it could have been a bit more forgivable if they had if they had like tried to make some some good character beats, if if they had been a little more imaginative with the story. I th- I feel like they had some ideas for spectacle in mind, but but it it. it, it you just don't connect with anyone really in the movie at all. And and if you had even like, <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm just struggling to, to, to think of something redeeming. <laughs> That's okay, man. I think, I think your message has come across. Let me say Sandra. this. Yeah. This was not my first time watching this movie. 
I actually watched it much closer to when it came out. And I have to assume that even my standard of CGI was above what this gave me because, as Tim said, we already had Lord of the Rings movies at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, when I was anticipating watching this movie uh, for this review, I was going through the story beats that I kind of vaguely remembered in my mind. And that was a much more entertaining experience than watching them play out on screen again. This movie was painful to watch in that it wasn't great, but it wasn't great in a way that made it feel even longer than what it was. And this was already an hour and 44 minutes. Yeah. I don't think I could recommend this movie even to a diehard D&D fan who just wants to see some of the references. Yeah. So that's uh, our review of I Dungeons think, and... No. No, I need to cut you off here. Fine. I think I, I could recommend this movie to film students to show what could go wrong in a production. Okay. Well, that's our review or our discussion, I guess, of Dungeons and Dragons, Wrath of the Dragon God. Um, before we get to what we're seeing next week, uh, Tim, why don't you take one more opportunity to plug your stuff and let people know where they can find you? Well, awesome. Well, thanks again for having me on. This has been this has been this conversation has been enjoyable. The movie watching was a chore, but <laughs> I would do it again for you guys. Um, we're on Spotify, iTunes, um, Nights and Nerds podcast. Uh, our night, our, our website is nightsandnerds.com, and we're on Twitter and Instagram at Nights and Nerds. You know, we got a full, full-on campaign uh, that you can listen to start to finish. Uh, it goes sixty episodes, and we're starting a new one very soon, uh, complete with episodes on on world building and and all my behind the screen sort of. Uh, half-assed ideas well I look forward to hearing all that myself as a fan and I want to thank you for joining us yes thank you so much man I can't wait to listen and now I have to ask you Ben what are we watching next week oh you're going to love this one it's one of my favorites oh yeah it's 2012's Dungeons and Dragons the book of no I'm kidding (laughs) it's uh it's uh (laughs) 2015's Bloodsucking Bastards. Mandy, please, can we talk privately? Just somewhere else. Don't call me Mandy. You guys put together the numbers for Friday's presentation yet? What presentation? Oh, hey, you owe me 50 bucks. Hey, can I borrow 50 bucks? I'm making a pretty big announcement today. I think he's gonna make me sales manager. I'm proud to announce our new manager of sales, Max Phillips. What do we sell here? Shake weights. Our mustaches. We have an atrix. No, Michael, we sell dreams. That's my name. Our goal for this month. One million dollars in sales. And if we don't, we'll be forced to kill all of you. (laughs) So you better do what he says. Max is cleaning house. We're gonna give this place lean and mean, Theodore. Is it just me or is this office getting darker? 
And colder, too. Look. Oh, yeah. What's going on right now? It's kind of a long story. I want you. I'm a virgin. You all are. <laughs> well, that wasn't a long story. No. Oh. We need your help. The entire office has been turned into vampires. 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 Vampires, yeah. Did everybody know but me? Yeah, it seems that way. We need to arm ourselves. We need weapons. I was waiting for you to say that. Meeting's canceled. We are losing a lot of employees. This company sucks. Bam snack. Jeez, the vampire that takes a bite out of you is gonna be up for a week. I think I just canceled the podcast. <laughs> Alright, well until then. Thanks for joining us. All the best, guys.